Hello, my name is Adrian Yent from the CPFT communications team, and this is the first in a series of podcasts about research and development. Today, we are talking about dementia. What causes it, the symptoms, treatments, and the research into a disease that affects more than 800,000 people in the UK alone, and 47 million people globally, with that number set to increase to 132 million by 2050. There is no cure for dementia yet. My guests today are Professor John O'Brien and Alison Bentley. John is an honorary consultant psychiatrist at CPFT. He is Professor of Old Age Psychiatry at the University of Cambridge. Hello, John, and thank you for joining me. Hello. Alison Bentley is a dementia research nurse at CPFT, based at the University of Cambridge School of Medicine Department of Psychiatry. Welcome, Alison. Thank you. John, can I first ask you, what is dementia? Well, dementia is a general term that we use to describe a group of different conditions. And the term dementia really refers to a general decline in memory and cognition to the extent that it's interfering with day-to-day activities and ability to function on a daily basis. There are many different causes of dementia. Uh, Alzheimer's disease, which is one that most people have heard of and will be familiar with, is the most common responsible for about two-thirds of cases. But there are also lots of other causes of dementia, and other major causes would be vascular dementia, Lewy body dementia, and frontotemporal dementia. And there are also a lot of rarer, less common causes as well, but are still equally important. Now, most of the dementia share a common basic mechanism, which is an abnormality in the way proteins are laid down in the brain. And this protein overproduction um, causes problems with nerve cells and neurons, ultimately leading to their loss of function and ultimately their death. Now, the proteins that are most commonly involved are ones such as amyloid and tau, which are involved in in Alzheimer's disease and also to some extent in frontal dementias, Um, synuclein, which is involved in, in Lewy body dementia. Now, vascular dementia has a slightly different mechanism. It's related to abnormalities in the blood vessels, to strokes, and to small vessel disease. But that also then causes nerve cell neuronal death and problems then in thinking, uh, memory, and in behaviours. Now, the dementias are associated with loss of chemicals as a result of this nerve cell damage, um, particularly one called acetylcholine is very important in Alzheimer's disease and Lewy body dementia. Alison, how are people with dementia affected? Well, generally, dementia causes problems with memory, thinking, problem-solving or language. And because most of them are progressive, the symptoms usually get worse over time. The symptoms of the different types of dementia are often different in the early stages, but become more similar in the later stages. For example, people living with Lewy body dementia may have visual hallucinations. They sometimes see people or animals who aren't there. They have fluctuation in cognition, sleep problems and and Parkinson's symptoms. They often report having difficulty with dizziness and balance, so it's more likely to make them fall. And as you heard, vascular occurs when the blood supply to the brain is affected. And how this affects the people varies depending on the underlying cause. For example, following a small stroke, the symptoms may come suddenly. And vascular dementia often coexists with Alzheimer's and may be diagnosed as mixed, so the symptoms may vary again. Frontotemporal often have problems with both receiving and expressing language. 
They may have a loss of a social filter and inhibitions can cause disruptive personality and behavioural changes. So in the later stages of dementia, the person will need more and more support to carry out everyday tasks. However, many people with dementia live well for years after the diagnosis. Information, advice and support are available for the person and their carer so they can help hopefully live well with dementia. And John, what causes dementia? Well, to some extent it depends on the type of dementia. Um, but in general we know that uh, genetic factors are important in most dementias. Uh, they're better known for things like Alzheimer's disease than for some of the other types of dementia. But in addition, they're lifestyle factors as well, uh, things that we do, some of our behaviours. So both things that are from uh, the gene and things from the environment. And what uh, are the current treatments available for people with dementia, John? So we have some drug treatments available which work for people with Alzheimer's disease and with uh, Lewy body dementia. Um, they don't work for other types of dementia, which is why it's important to um, know what sort of dementia um, someone is suffering from because it has an important effect on the treatment. And there are also non-drug treatments, um, psychological treatments, uh, support and things like that. For example, one uh, commonly used form of therapy is called cognitive stimulation. So this is engaging people in, in activities, enjoyable activities, in stimulating things that are appropriate for their level of dementia. And that's been shown to produce both cognitive and more broad behavioural benefits. Alison, can I ask you, how is dementia diagnosed and what do family members or friends or neighbours who might be concerned about someone they know do? Well, in the first instance, it's really important to encourage the person to visit the, their own GP so they can have an assessment of their general health. Because some of the symptoms of dementia actually might be um, treatable, such as infections, anemia or thyroid problems. The GP may then complete a memory test and, if needed, refer to a local memory clinic to see a specialist for further assessment. John, what are researchers and experts like yourself looking at developing to identify those at risk of dementia? Well, there's several different lines of, of research to try and understand and to identify people who are at risk of dementia. So these range from, from biomarkers, biological tests, um, whether that's brain imaging, um, looking in the blood or in the spinal fluid to try and identify early markers that put people at increased risk. These markers are often based around the abnormal proteins in the dementias, so looking at markers of, of amyloid, looking at markers of tau, but also other things as well, some inflammatory changes also seem to be quite early um, markers of, of risk in, for people, but also cognitive uh, and behavioural elements as well, so certain types of, of cognitive task, memory task, particularly more challenging tasks, for example, things like virtual reality tests are being looked at um, to see if they can be very early um, markers of, of people who are at risk of, of getting dementia. Alison, how do carers cope with these changes and what do staff working at organisations like CPFT do to help patients and their carers? Well, from recent research interviews I completed, it's quite evident that people cope in a wide variety of different ways from looking up information online, going to carer support groups, accessing the carer trust and gaining support from friends, family and the local community. One of the main issues is recognising that family carers may not have time to look after their own health 
and may not feel able to say if they're not sleeping enough, having time or, or actually coping. So staff are really important if they can signpost or refer to appropriate services or the voluntary sector. And NHS organisations are aiming to involve people living with dementia and their families in all aspects of the care, from care planning, treatment and support decisions. They also provide rapid response type services where they can get out to the patients who have dementia and their families quite quickly to provide assessment, treatments and advice. CPFT has its own dementia care support group as well, which is an excellent resource. John, what are the main drugs available now and how do they work? Well, we have four licensed drugs, which we've had for 10 to 15 years now, and um, three of them work in a very similar way. They're cholinergic drugs. They boost the level of acetylcholine in the brain, which is one of the transmitters which is, is, is lost, as, as we talked about earlier. They provide uh, a symptomatic treatment. In other words, they, they help people um, for a time who have uh, the illness, Alzheimer's or Lewy body. They unfortunately don't alter the underlying progression of the disease. Uh, the other drug we have is one called um, Mamantine. It works on a, another transmitter system, the glutamate system, which is also um, affected in Alzheimer's disease. And again, provides some symptomatic treatment at the more moderate to severe stages of dementia, which is what it's licensed for. And do we know why some people go on to develop dementia while many others don't? Well, it depends on the age of the person affected and the type of dementia. Um, we still need to know a lot more about when some people go on to develop dementia. There are some specific genes, particularly for people who have a very early onset form of dementia that can sometimes come on in their 40s or 50s. Uh, it's autosomal dominant gene, so if people have the gene, they will develop the illness. But for the majority of dementia, which is late onset, we don't have specific causes. We know things that increase the risk of getting dementia. The most obvious is advancing age. It's much more common as people get older. But there are also other risk factors as well, um, things like smoking, things like alcohol, lifestyle factors. Um, education itself is thought to be protective uh, against developing dementia. Alison, what is the experience of staff caring for people with dementia? And, and what is your advice for them? Well, my own clinical experience is as a general nurse working with people at home who are in the more advanced stages of dementia. So I've, I find it important just to ask some simple questions when I first meet them, such as, is there anything about your health or care you think it's important for me to know about? And I also try and find out what other professionals, volunteers or agencies may be visiting their home. Some people with memory problems can be overwhelmed if lots of new people are coming into their home, and some people may not be accessing any services at all, so I'm always surprised. John, what is the key research activities you and your colleagues here at CPFT and the University of Cambridge involved with at the moment? Well, we're involved in quite a broad range of activities and everything is around trying to improve the, the diagnosis and the management of the different types of dementia to improve patient care. So, for example, we're involved in studies of brain imaging, looking at early changes in tau, in amyloid, in inflammation, in Alzheimer's disease, in people with pre-Alzheimer's mild cognitive impairment, in Lewy body, in frontal dementia, to try and look for very early diagnostic biomarkers, but also things that'll tell us about how the disease develops and when we might be able to intervene with certain treatments. 
Uh, we're also doing more um, applied research. We're very involved with clinical trials. There's a very strong research unit, the Windsor Research Unit within CPFT that undertakes a very wide range of, of clinical trials. Some of these are of um, very new compounds, um, compounds that are thought to work by uh, affecting amyloid and, and tau. Others are repurposed drugs, so maybe drugs that have been around for a long time and used, for example, to treat blood pressure or diabetes that we now think will have a role in, in Alzheimer's disease. And we also have a program of work around Lewy body dementia, where we're introducing methods to try and improve the diagnosis and the management of that, which can be a very challenging type of dementia to diagnose. Alison, could you tell us about your PhD and the support you've received from CPFT, the Florence Nightingale Foundation and the Clark, and, and how do staff get involved in research like this? For the past few years, I've been working on on one of the projects looking at improving the diagnosis and management of Lewy body dementia in the NHS. So as this project progressed, I noticed that Lewy body patients seemed to have a higher level of physical symptoms than other types of dementia. So I applied for a Clark Fellowship, which gave me support and one day a week to explore this area further. So I completed interviews with people living with Lewy body and their families, and it was during the analysis I noticed people were asking more about how the condition may progress, what the future might hold and the end stages might look like. So this area is quite under-researched in um, Lewy body dementia, so I decided to ask if I could follow that um, a bit further. So CPFT is very good at recognising the benefits of having research active staff. So when I saw a gap in the knowledge and services for the advanced stages of Lewy body dementia, my managers and the trust were very supportive. So I've been given funding from the CPFT R&D strategic grant for two days a week to work towards the PhD but I was unable to secure funds for the course fees and that's when I decided to apply for a Florence Nightingale scholarship. But nurses can get involved at all le levels of research from being research aware, starting journal clubs, becoming a trust research champion and if they have a research idea related to their practice, the Clark Fellowship is an excellent starting point and they could always go on to do an MSc in research. Alison, how can people reduce their risk of developing dementia? Well, studies now suggest that exercise can increase the neuroplasticity in the brain, and neuroplasticity refers to the brain's ability to form new connections between nerve networks, particularly in the memory centres. So maintaining physical, social and brain health is a real important component of reducing the dementia risk. And for people who have cardiac risks, such as high blood pressure or diabetes, it's important to have these checked regularly so you can re help reduce the risk of vascular dementia. And as in all health advice, it's good to eat a balanced diet and reduce alcohol to the recommended amounts. How do people get involved in dementia research and what is involved in being a research participant, Alison? Well, people can access the information about dementia research from all sorts of different places. Join Dementia Research is a UK-based service that allows people to register their interest online or by post. It helps people with dementia, their carers, or anyone interested in dementia research to be able to match to studies taking place in their area. For CPFT patients and carers, it's worth asking their health professional if it can be recorded in their notes that they are interested in taking part in research, and then they can find out where to find out more information. And also, the Ser Service User and Carer Involvement Manager, Eliana, is very keen to ensure people with dementia and their carers are actually involved in the whole research process, so shaping the research questions, design, helping prepare patient information leaflets and advising on recruitment. 
John, can I ask you, are there any final thoughts you have about research and development into dementia at this time? Well, it's incredibly important. We've made great advances in understanding uh, different types of dementia and through developing some of the treatments and methods we have through the involvement of patients um, and carers and indeed staff from CPFT. It's a growing area of, of research within the Trust and there are lots of exciting new studies which are, are coming through aimed at improving diagnosis and also clinical trials. So the trust for support for dementia research, which has been tremendous, is very, very important to us. Well, that's all for this episode. I'm Adrian Yent from the CPFT communications team, and I'd like to thank you for listening today. Thank you also to my guests, Professor John O'Brien and Alison Bentley, without whom this podcast would not be possible. We'll be back in a couple of months with a new podcast focusing on another area of research and development in mental health, physical health and community care at CPFT. In the meantime, if you have any thoughts about the issues discussed today or suggestions for future episodes, you can leave a comment or tweet us at CPFT underscore research. Finally, thank you to Terry Wyman from Serco who produced this podcast. Goodbye.